0: Thank you, Angela. Let's turn to Romans chapter seven, please. Romans chapter seven, and let's look, to the Lord, in prayer. Gracious Father, we thank you this morning that we can come together in this place to worship you, to exalt your holy name to meditate upon your word and to uh, spend time, Father God, uh, listening to your word. And we ask that today that your word, Father God, would speak to our hearts, would challenge us, would encourage us. We pray, Father, that you would just help us to understand your word and to make the application applicable to us, Father God. We do pray that, Lord, uh, you'd give me wisdom from on high. Use me, Father, to your glory. Enable me to think clearly, to speak clearly. And may, Father, today you receive all the praise and all the glory. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Having established in Romans chapter 6 that you and I have been delivered from the law of Moses, Paul now opens up a discussion about the nature of the law, the law of Moses in particular. And Paul realised that there were people who would misinterpret the meaning of Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. Romans chapter 7, sorry, verses 1 through 6. The people would say that what he had declared in the first six verses of the chapter was that the gospel renders the law valueless, renders the law pointless, renders the law useless. And the Lord and Paul is concerned here that in saying that, we have died of the law, that the law no longer has dominion over us, that that would lead to lawlessness, that people would not want to live by the principles of God's word, that they would lead to lawlessness. Of course, we talked about the two extremes, uh, uh, lawlessness and legalism. He deals with uh, legalism now here in this chapter because people wanted to go and live by the law. And he's dealing with that, but he's concerned now that they will think that it means because we're not under the dominion law, that there is no law at all, that we're lawless. In the first four chapters of Romans, the Apostle has proved that no man can be justified by the deeds of the law. And now he is equally concerned that we understand that no man can be sanctified by the law or by being under the law. We saw in Romans chapter 7, verses 1 through 6 last week, the authority of the law and now Paul wants to explain to you and I the ministries of the law, ministries that function even today. What he wants to do is he wants to explain to us, therefore, what is the purpose of the law. If the law does not have dominion over us, then what was the purpose of the law? What is the purpose of the law? And he spells out for us in verses 7 through 13 what the purpose of the law is. Firstly, he tells us the law reveals sin. Look in verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law, for I had not known lust, except the law had said, thou shalt not covet. In Romans chapter 7 and verse 5, he says this, for when we were in the flesh, the motions of sins which were by the Lord did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. He says the motions or the passions of sin were brought to fore in our lives by the law. And now in verse 7, Paul anticipates a question that his objectors were ready to ask. And the question is this, what good is the law if we don't need it anymore? Surely if the law makes me a sinner, then the law itself is Sin, that's the point of verse 7. Is the law sin? And of course he answers as he always does in Romans. He says, God forbid. May it not be. That's not true. The law is not sin. And he explains here in verse 7 that the law was given for the purpose of revealing sin. Because he says this. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. We would not have known sin, we would not have known we were sinners, if there was no law. He'd stated it in Romans chapter 3 and verse 20, where he says, by the law is the knowledge of sin. He repeated that again in Romans chapter 4 and verse 15, where he says, where no law is, there is no transgression. And now in Romans chapter 7, verse 7, he's going to reiterate it again, to let us understand that the law has a purpose the law is not sin the law has a purpose to reveal sin to us and he uses an illustration the illustration of covetousness to explain this to us he says in verse 7 nay I had not known sin but by the law for I had not known lust except the law said thou shalt not covet now it's interesting he chooses the last of the Ten Commandments by way of illustration. And the reason for that is because the last of the Ten Commandments differs from the other nine. In that the, the last Ten Commandments I shall not covered is an inward attitude, not an outward action. Now, covetous leads to breaking all the other commandments. The attitude of heart produces the action of the other nine commandments. So he takes the Ten Commandment, Thou shalt not covet, to explain what he's talking about here. You see, covetousness is an insidious sin that most people never recognise in their own lives. But God's law reveals that very sin to us. Paul said, I would not have known lust. I would have not known that I desired things that were wrong, except for the law which said, Thou shalt not covet. Now, there is a good illustration of this in Mark chapter 10. Let's go back there, please. Mark chapter 10. From Mark chapter 10, we have the story of the rich young ruler. Mark chapter 10, verse 17, we read this. When he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Jesus said unto him, why callest thou me good? There is not good, but one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, and fraud not, honour thy father and mother, and he answered, and he said unto him, Master, all these I have observed from my youth. Then Jesus beholding him, loved him, and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, so what so thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, take up that cross and follow me. And he was sad at that saying and went away grieved for he had great possessions. This is a good example of the use of this law of covetousness to reveal sin. To show that this young man was indeed a sinner in need of a savior. This young man was morally outwardly, moral rather I should say, he was outwardly moral, he'd kept the law. But he'd never faced the fact that he was a sinner. Now he comes with a reasonable proposition, he wants to know what he has to do to be saved, he wants to know how to inherit eternal life. He indeed recognises who Christ is, he calls him good master, he recognises that he's God. And the Lord tells him that he ought to give the commandments, he said I've kept the commandments from my youth. And Jesus did not tell him about the law because the law would save him. He told him about the law because the young man did not realize his own sinfulness. Now it's true that he had never committed adultery, he'd never robbed anyone, he'd never given false witness or dishonored his parents, but what about covetousness? When the Lord told him to sell all that he had and give it to the poor, the man went away with great sorrow. Why? Because the commandment, thou shalt not covet, had revealed him for what he was, had revealed him as a sinner who he really was. This commandment, thou shalt not covet, had revealed that in his heart he indeed was a sinner. And while outwardly he was morally upright, he indeed did have sin. And the law did its job. The law, thou shalt not covet, had revealed that this young man was a sinner. And instead of admitting his sin, unfortunately, this young man rejected Christ and went away unconverted, so he went away sad. But the Lord had done his job. The Lord revealed his sin. Why? Because the law was given for that purpose, to reveal our sin. Secondly, the law arouses sin. Not only does the law reveal sin, but the law arouses sin. Look at verse 8 and 9 but sin taken occasion by commandment wrought in me all manner of concupiscence for without the law sin was dead for I was alive without the law once but when the commandment came sin revived and I died you know there's something within human nature that wants us to rebel whatever the law whenever the law is given And we talked about it last week. You know, you see a sign that says, you know, uh, keep off the grass. What do we want to do? Step on the grass. We see a sign says wet paint. What do we want to do? We want to touch it to see if it is wet. One sure way of getting a child to do the opposite of what you want is to tell them don't do something. We have within us a nature that wants us to disobey, that causes us to want to uh, disobey the law whenever the law is given. But it isn't the fault of the law. It's not the fault of the commandments. The fault is in us. And that's Paul's point here in verse 8 and 9. See, the problem is not the law. The law is good. The law is not the problem. The law is us. And he explains that here for us in verses 8 and 9. For he says, but, take, but sin, taken occasion by commandment, wrought in me in all manner of concupiscence. for without the law, sin was dead. For sin, taken occasion by the commandment, he says. To put it another way, he says this, Sin taking opportunity through the commandment. Now the commandment here is, Thou shalt not covet. Okay, verse 7. So sin taking opportunity through the commandment, Thou shalt not covet, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. Now the word concupiscence an old English word is the same Greek word as covet. Okay. So the commandment take uh, so the sin taken opportunity by the commandment, "Thou shalt not covet," wrought in me all manner of coveting, all manner of lust. And this word means evil desire. All manner of evil desire. In other words, the law said, "Don't." Simple self said. I will disobey. The law, a sin rather, took opportunity by the commandment, they shall not covet, to then do exactly what the commandment said not to do, to covet. The law said don't. My sinful self said disobey. Now where's the weakness lie? The weakness doesn't lie in the law... The law doesn't have a problem here. The law is black and white. Thou shalt not covet. It's easy to understand. The problem isn't the law. It's us. It's ourselves. Our hearts are so wicked that they can find opportunity for all manner of evil desire from something as good as the law of God. One commentator said this, It's as though sin was bent on breaking the law as much as it could. Sin wants to break the law. Sin sees the law, and our sinful nature, before we can save, just wants to break the law. There's a desire within us to do the wrong thing. Another commentator said this, Instead of being a dynamo that gives us power to overcome... The law is a magnet that draws out of us all kinds of sin and corruption. I thought that was a pretty good illustration. It draws out of us all kinds of sin and corruption. It demonstrates what we really are. It shows us for what we really are. It arouses in us sinful passions. Paul then puts it another way in case we didn't quite get it. At the end of verse 8 he says, For without the law sin was dead. For without or apart from the law, sin was dead. Sin was seen to be what it was because of the law. But sin was not seen to be what it was apart from the law. If there is no law, then you don't know that you've sinned. If there is no law, you don't know what you've done wrong. Now, it doesn't mean that sin did not exist apart from the law. Now, this is not saying that the, you know, the, without the law there is no such thing as sin and none of us are sinners and if God would have been better off not giving us the law because if he didn't give us the law then you and I would not be sinners. Well that's not true because we know that all of us are sinners. We're sinners because of Adam's sin and in Adam all of us sin and therefore we all died because of sin but you and I all sin in practice. The law simply reveals that sin but without the law we're still sinners. So it doesn't mean that sin does not exist apart from the law. It means that sin was dormant. Sin lays inactive like a snake in the sun until it's stirred up by the law. The truth is the law exposes the true nature of mankind. It reveals our sin. Now, David Mitchell, in his notes on Romans, had this illustration, which I thought was pretty good. He said, "'Say I lived in the country on a main highway "'in a town which does not have any road signs "'about speed limits. "'Because of that, many people would speed through my town. "'But what then if, someone, uh, uh, what then if some signs were put up "'saying 60 kilometres an hour? "'These would make anything over 60 illegal. "'But without the limits, you could not be booked.' Dangerous speeding past my door was allowed before the signs went up, but the speed limit showed up, the danger of your speed. That's what the law does. The law reveals the danger of the speed in this case. The law reveals our sin. The law arouses in us a knowledge and understanding of sin. So the law of Moses shows up our sin for what it is. He goes on in verse 9 to speak of his own life experience. He says this, For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. So he now gives his personal testimony. Now we know that Paul was a Pharisee before he got saved. Seeking to obey the law of Moses. Moses. Before he met Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, Paul was a man who was a, a, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, a Pharisee, uh, uh, keeping the law. And it's easier for us to understand these verses when we understand Paul's testimony. Go in Philippians, please. Philippians chapter 3. And commence to read in verse 1. three one finally my brethren rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you to me indeed is not grievous but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. For we are the circumcision which worship God in spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh. If any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh I more Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews has touched the law of Pharisee concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those things I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus by my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness which is of the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings be made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Here's Paul's testimony. Paul says as touch of the law he was blameless. As a Pharisee, he was indeed righteous in the eye. And in Romans chapter 7 and verse 9, he says, I was alive without the law. Before he got saved, he was in blissful ignorance of his situation. He was alive. He was going around, persecuting the Christians, putting them to death. He was living the law. Now, of course, in his unsaved condition, Paul sought to keep the law. As he says in Philippians, he was blameless. But the problem was, he really had no idea about the true nature of the law. He had no idea about how the law was supposed to function. He never understood that the law actually condemned him. He thought that he was doing the right thing by keeping the law, while all the time keeping that law was condemning him. You know, he was quite self-righteous. In fact, he thought he was doing well. Look at verse 4 again at Philippians 3. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he whereof he might trust in the flesh, i more. Here's his testimony. He was circumcised the eighth day. He was of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is the law, blameless. Paul's testimony. He was alive to God, at least in his own opinion. He was walking around Israel with his chest puffed out as a righteous Pharisee, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, keeping the law, and as far as he was concerned, he was alive to God. But something happened. And he explains here in verse 9 what happened. He says, But when the commandment came, sin revived, and I died. Now by commandment here, Paul is referring to his salvation. Look at Acts chapter seven, uh, chapter 9, please. Acts chapter 9. Verse 1. And Saul, that's Paul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, that was any believers, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound in Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven, and he fell to the earth, and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? The Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what will thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise, go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do and all the men, and the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. This was Paul's salvation experience. And the commandment of Romans chapter 7 and verse 9 is this salvation experience. You see, when he met the Lord and realized his own pride, realized his own selfishness, it's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. When he realized what he was doing, it became apparent to him that the law he once thought he kept now condemned him. He was coveting. He thought he was living for God. He thought he was righteous. He thought he was doing the right thing. He was keeping the law. But it was causing self-pride, self-righteousness. And the law now revealed unto him that indeed he was dead. Because the commandment came sin revived in other words i finally realized i was a sinner and i died i realized that because i'm a sinner i'm dead sin recovered and the net effect was i died you see he was always the sin was always there but paul was oblivious to that sin But when it became obvious to him that he was a sinner, he realized his terrible condition before a holy God and he turned to Christ for salvation. And that's the purpose of the law. The law is given to arouse in every one of us an understanding that we are sinners. And to be saved, a person must first see themselves as a sinner. That's why saying to somebody, if you die tonight, night, you're sure you're going to go to heaven really is an illegitimate question. Because people need to know they're lost before they'll ever get saved. They need to understand that they're a sinner before a holy God, before they'll ever believe on the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. We need to show them from God's word that they're sinners. That's what the Spirit of God came for. He came to, to... judge us of sin and of righteousness. He came to reveal mankind's sin. The law was given for that purpose, to reveal that we're sinners. We would not know we were sinners if it was not for the law. Now, we still would be sinners, we just wouldn't know it. In order for someone to be saved, then the purpose of the law, which was to arouse the awareness of sin, must be real in their lives. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And man needs to know that they're a sinner. So the law was given to reveal sin, the law was given to arouse sin, but thirdly, the law was given, and when it came, the law kills. Look at verse 10. For the commandment, uh, and the commandment which was ordained to life, are found to be unto death. For sin taken occasion by the commandment deceived me, and by it slew me. Romans chapter 7, verse 10. Paul thought that he was keeping the law. And he thought that by keeping the law, he was right with God. It says that in verse 10. And the commandment which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. He thought that the keeping the commandment was life. He thought that the law was ordained to life, that the law was there to be the means by which people would obtain eternal life. He thought if he could keep the Ten Commandments, then he would obtain eternal life. That's why he was a a, a concern of the law, a Pharisee. He was uh, living by the law. He was blameless in the law because he believed that the law was ordained to life. That it was the means by which he would obtain eternal life. But he goes on to tell us that when he saw the law in its proper perspective, when he understood the purpose of the law, he realized that the law was not ordained to life, but that it was ordained to death. Look at verse 10. And the commandment, which was ordained to life, are found to be unto death. I thought it was for life, that living by the law I could be saved. But what I found was that when I understood the purpose of the law, that it was to arouse sin, that it was to reveal sin, I realized that it was ordained to death. It made him a sinner. And therefore a sinner who needed salvation. Galatians chapter 3, please. Galatians chapter 3. And verse 21. Lecture 3.21 Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily uh, verily, righteousness should have been by the law. He says here, if there had been a law that could give life, then righteousness would have been by the law. The truth is the law could not give life. The law could simply reveal uh, sin. The law cannot save us. The law can only show a sinner that they are guilty before a holy God and that they're condemned by God by their own guilt, their own sin. But it cannot save them. And he explains this further in verse 11 where he says, For sin, taken occasion by the commandment, deceived me and by it slew me. Sin, taken occasion, sin took opportunity by the commandment, to deceive him and kill him. What he's saying is that sin was deriving strength from the law. The more he tried to live by the law, the more it was killing him. Because the law was condemning him. The more he tried to live by the very law that he thought was saving him, it was the very law that was condemning him. It deceived him. It drew him aside to disobedience. It promised him gratification. It promised him honor. It promised him independence. But it lied. Sin lied to him. Because always sin leads to death. For sin, taken occasion of my commandment, deceived me, and by it slew me. Now gives a good example of this back in Genesis chapter 3, isn't she? The law said, Of every tree of the garden thou must freely eat, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat, for in the day thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die, black and white. Here's the commandment don't eat, because if you do eat, you'll die. But Satan used the law to deceive her. Because Satan comes along and he gets her to repeat the law. What did God say to you? God said, "We shall not eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. From the day that we eat thereof, we shall surely die." And Satan says, "Ye shall not surely die, but God knows that ye shall be as gods, knowing both good and evil." God's holding out on you, and He uses the law now to deceive Eve into partaking of the fruit. She now no longer sees the law as the means of death. She sees the law as the means of obtaining something that she could not have. She sees the law as something by an unpleasant God withholding from us that which is good. Now, it isn't the law that deceives Eve. It isn't the law that deceives us, but sin that uses the law as an occasion for rebellion. You know, that's why the Lord says in John chapter 8, verse 32, the truth shall set you free. Because if we know the truth about the law, it will set us free. If we know the law was given to reveal sin, to arouse sin, and we know the law can only be used by sin to bring death, we understand all that, then you and I know the truth, we will be saved and we want to live for the glory of God. The truth makes us free from the deception of sin. And so he says in the end of this verse, he says, And by it slew me. Sin used the law to slay me. The truth is sin, when followed, leads to death, not life. Isn't that how he ends chapter 6? For the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. Sin always leads to death. It never leads to life. Sin kills us. And the law was given to you and I to warn away, uh, warn us away from sin. It's like a signpost that says, danger, keep out. It's a signpost that says, Beyond this point is death. The law is like a neon sign that stands up for you and I, and it declares to you and I that beyond this point. There is nothing else but for you to be killed. And it wants you and I to recognize that, turn around and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. To change our mind about where we're heading. That we're heading directly for hell, we're heading directly for Christ's eternity, and that you and I would then recognize the only means of salvation is not by keeping the law because the law is used by sin to deceive us and kills us, but that you and I would turn around, that you and I would change our minds about our direction, and we trust in Jesus Christ for our salvation. That's why the law was given. So that we might turn to Christ and be saved. You see, the law was given to reveal sin. The law was given... To arouse sin, the law was given to make us realize that sin kills. And lastly, the law was given to show the simpleness of sin. Verse 12, wherefore, the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just, and good. Was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid. But sin, that it might appear sin, working death in me by the, that which is good. That sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. Now it seems here again that Paul understands that someone might take what he's saying to mean that he's say- that he's against the law. That he thinks the law of God is pointless, useless. It's a it's a relic of the past, and he's against the law. That the law should just be totally ignored, and we just live our lives any way we like, which is going to explain from verse 14 onwards that as believers we can't. But just in case someone has got the idea that somehow the law is useless and therefore we don't need the law and that he's against the law, he is saying that the problem is in us, not in the law. Because nobody says in verse 12, wherefore the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. Now here the law and the commandment are seen to be two different entities. The law here means is a general term for all the Mosaic law. The commandment is a, is a specific command, that command of Romans seven seven, thou shalt not covet. And he's saying the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, just, and good. Understand this, that all the law is holy and the specific command, thou shalt not covet, is not a problem either. It is holy, it's just, it's good. The point is that the law was not sin. Quite the opposite. The law is holy. It's just, it's pure. There is nothing wrong with the law. And we need to understand that even as believers, there's nothing wrong with the law. The law is not the problem here. So in Romans 7.13, he asked the question, Was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid, but sin. That it might appear sin working death in me by that which is good, that sin by commandment might become exceeding sinful. Paul asks, was that which is good made death to me? If the law is good, how can it be used? How can it be the cause of death? Or can the law be good if it's deadly or the cause of death? Well, Paul uses his classic phrase yet again to emphatically state no. He says, God forbid! No way! I'm not saying that the law is a problem here. See, you need to understand this. The law is good. The law is pure. The law is holy. The problem is not the law. The problem is sin. Because notice what he says in verse 13. But sin. Sin is the culprit. Sin is the offender. The law is not the culprit. The law is not the offender. The law is not the cause of death. Sin is. The law illuminates our sin, the law reveals our sin, the law arouses our sin, the law makes our sin obvious to us, the law shows me to be a sinner that I am, because that's what God intended the law to do. But the law does not kill me, sin does. I mean, if you drive along the road doing a hundred and a sixty zone, the law does not... uh, It's not the law that jumps out. You know, the sign doesn't jump out, hit you over the head and say you're speeding. You and I suffer the consequence of our speeding because we disobeyed the law. The same is true here. You know, when you put a dirty garment next to a pure garment you can see the exceeding blackness of the black in the dirty garment compared to the pure garment. And that's the point here. The law makes our sin appear to be exceeding sinful. So he says in verse 13, But sin, that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. The law was given... So you and I might see the exceeding simpleness of sin. We might see just how wicked sin is. You know, unsaved people know there is such a thing as a sin. But the problem with the unsaved is they don't realize how sinful sin really is. They don't see the simpleness of sin. They don't see how deadly sin is. That's why God gave the law. Spurgeon said this, he said, why didn't he say exceedingly black, or exceedingly horrible, or exceedingly deadly? Why? Because there is nothing in the world so bad as sin. When he wanted to use the very worst word he could find to call sin by, he called it by its own name and reiterated it, sin is exceeding sinful. He couldn't find a word to explain how wicked sin was, so he repeats the word sin and says sin is exceedingly simple. That's why the law was given. The law was given to show you and I how sinful we really are, to show how much we really needed a Savior, to show how much we really needed someone to die on the cross of Calvary, to shed His precious blood, to purchase our redemption is to show you and I that you and I are sinners before a holy God, and the only way that you and I can avoid a Christ's eternity in the lake of fire is to place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and Christ alone, for He paid for our sin that we might indeed be made the righteous of God in Him. The law was given; if there was no law, you and I would not know that we're sinners. You and I would not know that we disobeyed God. You and I would not know that the wage of sin is death. You and I would not know how sinful sin really is. And you and I would be simply going through life oblivious to where we're heading because there was no signpost saying danger. Death lies ahead. But God erected the law as a massive neon sign for the world to see that said, beyond this point is death. Therefore, turn to Christ for salvation. We needed someone to die. We might be delivered from the consequences of sin, which is death. For the wage of sin is death, Romans 6.23 says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You know, Paul's argument here is wonderful. He says the law is not sinful, it's holy, it's just, it's good. He tells us the law reveals sin, arouses sin, and then uses sin to slay us. If something as good as the law accomplishes these results, then something is radically wrong somewhere. The conclusion that he comes to is that the law was given to show how sinful sin is. This is indeed exceedingly simple. The problem is not with the law. The problem is with the sinful nature of mankind. And therefore what man needs today is a saviour. And the law came to reveal, arouse their sin, that they might know that sin kills them and they might understand how sinful sin really is. The law can't save anybody. Only God can do that through Jesus Christ our Lord. All the law can do is reveal how sinful we are. The good news is that Christ died to save us. Christ paid for our sins upon the cross of Calvary. He purchased our redemption. He died in our place so that we could be declared righteous in him. I trust you're saved today. I trust you know a time and place in your life whereby you recognize by the authority of God's word that you're a sinner before a holy God. And because you're a sinner before a holy God, you turn to Jesus Christ and trusted Him and Him alone for salvation. And if you haven't trusted Him, why not today? Why not place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ who died that you might be delivered from the consequence of the disobedience to the law, which is death. Those of us saved today, let's give thanks to God for the law. Because without the law, you and I wouldn't know we're sinners. And if we didn't know we're sinners, we would never have turned to Christ as our Savior. Let's give thanks to God for His wisdom in giving His law that we might know that we're sinners and his grace in sending his son to save us through faith in him let's pray gracious father we thank you for your word we thank you father for the law we thank you father your word explains to us clearly what the law was given for what its purpose was it was never given to save us we were never given a list of do's and don'ts in order to live by in order to be saved the law was given to show to us that we're sinners, that we're exceedingly sinful and that what we need is a saviour. Well, we thank you, Father God, that you sent Jesus Christ to be that saviour so that we might be delivered from the law and set free by faith in Christ. Lord, if be anybody here today or anyone listening and watching online who doesn't know you as their saviour, Lord, I pray today that they would turn to you for it's eternally too late those of us who are saved may we go away rejoicing for such a wonderful God that we have in you let's know we pray in Jesus name